For the last few weeks, I have been saying to you, as I encourage you to express yourself in whatever way possible, I've been very clearly saying, there is no right or wrong way to worship. Well, God called me out on that. Because in Scripture, it says that we are to come to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, what I meant was, here's this caveat of clarification, there is no right way or wrong way to express our worship, but we are to worship in spirit and in truth. So, we need to go to John chapter 4 for that. It's a very familiar place. It's the, the, the interaction with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And Jesus saw right through her, and he said, hey, why don't you go get your husband, and we can talk more about what's going on here. She felt so vulnerable, so transparent, that she changed the subject, and she said, wait a minute, uh, you're a Jew, and you worship in Jerusalem, and we Samaritans, we worship over on the mountain. Hey, what's up with that? And Jesus said... That's not what's important. Let's go to to verse 21 of chapter 4 in John. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain where you and your folks, your ancestors have been used to worshiping, nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus was saying, hey, I'm it. I'm the Messiah. You don't know it yet, but it comes from us, the Jewish people. Here it is. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father, say it with me, in spirit and in truth. Well, there we go. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit And the worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. All right. This is a teaching lesson, but I want you to get it. Because I'm concerned that we have in our mind how and what worship should be like. And God, through Jesus Christ, is telling us something different. Uh, The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the worship of God was confined to a specific location. And it was regulated by a bunch of laws. Do this, don't do that. Look this way, don't look that way. Go to the temple, perform sacrifices. Do, do this, don't do that. But when Jesus came, the separation of the Jews and Gentiles was no longer relevant. Jesus was telling the Samaritan woman and is telling all of us today that Jesus came for all people. And we are to worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean? In spirit, in my opinion, it means worshiping with our whole heart from the inside out. It means bringing all of us in our state of weakness, in our states of strength, all of foibles and idiosyncrasies are everything about us where we are all in. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. All in. Worshiping in spirit starts inside. It's a matter of the heart. 
And we base it upon worshiping in truth. And that means being informed, properly informed, having knowledge of God and God's will. Well, where do we go to find out that? Huh. Hmm. We worship in truth because we study the scriptures, because we spend time in prayer, and we spend time with other brothers and sisters in Christ who will hold us accountable so that we know who God is. We know that God is sovereign. We, we can claim fully what God has done for us, and we can claim the power of God in our lives. The more we acknowledge God, the more we appreciate God, the deeper we can worship. And the deeper we worship, the more personal our relationship with God becomes. So yes, number one really was a trick question. There is a right way to worship. That answer is in spirit and in truth. Now, worship is mentioned almost 200 times in the Bible from the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament. And there are many different definitions or meanings of that word worship. Some of them are to bow down, to sing hallelujah, to sing a new song, to sing a spontaneous song to God. Thanksgiving, confession, to reverence with extended hands, to celebrate with song and music, to kiss the hand of one in reverence, to respect, to awe, to be in supplication, to fall prostrate on the floor, paying homage in profound reverence. We are called to worship in spirit and in truth. So worship is not about an external place. It's not about coming to church for an hour or two on Sunday morning because we are called to worship, to live our lives in such a way that our life becomes worship. It can and it should take place in our daily life and on Sunday morning. It's a matter of the heart. It begins on the inside. True worship. Now here's the clincher. True worship is when we completely surrender ourselves to God. You see, worship is not about us. As off the charts awesome is our band, as our band is, our worship is not dependent upon them. And the thing is, as humans lately, I've been very aware that we're saying things like, you know, I just really didn't get much out of that. Or, gee, she's preaching a boring sermon today. Or they didn't do any of my favorite songs this morning. You know, we, we've kind of gotten off base with what worship is about. Worship is a matter of the heart. It's it should not be entertaining. It may be that we are fully energized when we leave, but, but we shouldn't come and sit expecting to be entertained. We should come expecting an encounter with the living God. That's what we need to be expecting. Now, there was a guy in the 18th century, Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish theologian, and he, he made this really cool analogy of worship and a play at the theater. And he says, most often, we as the congregation come in and we sit down and we expect that we're the audience. Bring it to me. What you got today? 
I'm hoping the band's going to sing something good. I'm hoping she can preach a halfway decent sermon, so I am not bored. All right, so Kierkegaard's idea was the congregation is the audience. The leaders up here were the performers, right? And God, he's kind of like through the Holy Spirit, the prompter at the offstage telling us little things to get us through. If there were a buzzer, that would be the buzzer now. We've got it backwards. We've got it backwards. When we come to worship, when we worship in our daily lives, God is the audience. Everything we say, everything we do is to God, it's about God, and it's for God in worship. That hit me with another holy two-by-four between the eyes because it is not about me and it is not about you. When we come to this place, when we are worshiping in our daily lives, it is all about God. God's sovereignty, God's power, God's beauty, the blessings that he is pouring upon us. I worship profoundly when I'm digging in the dirt. When I'm walking my dog Jack, that's the best prayer time ever. And I have been known to stop and talk to birds and acknowledge the leaves. And, and oh my gosh, have you noticed the blue sky lately? The clear blue sky, the, the breeze? We need to be worshiping in our daily life, not just on Sunday morning, and not just expecting to be the audience and be entertained. Worship is all about our giving our best to God. So we come to worship and God is the audience. We leaders up here, we're doing our best to prompt you a little deeper into worship. And you, we as the congregation, we are the performers. We are giving our best. We are giving our all. We are giving our very being to God in worship. It's not about the style of music, whether it's traditional and we're full of liturgy or whether it's contemporary and laid back and informal. It's not about how we position our bodies. It's not whether I stand and dance and raise my hands and clap and sing or whether I want to sit and be still. Those are all external expressions of internal worship. And I want to continue to encourage you to let this be a safe place because each one of us is a unique and very important and special creation of God. And we all are dealing with different stuff. That means that when we come to worship, our external expression of worship may be very different. One day I may be dancing and singing and, and, and raising my hands And another moment, maybe even the same hour, I may be flat, wanting to to kneel. I may be crying tears of joy, or I may be crying because God has pretty much zapped me again with a conviction that I need to get something off my chest and get right with God. Worship, I've said it, but I want to repeat it, is about God, is to God, and it's for God. God. We forget ourselves when we are truly worshiping. We present our entire selves to God on the altar of God's will. Here I am. 
Have your way with me, O God. We are devoted to God. If we're truly followers of Christ, then, then God is asking us to be in deeper, closer relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's not about what I want, what I think, but it's what I can do to give God glory and honor and praise. Worship, then, is sacrifice. There are times of praise and thanksgiving. There are times of bowing down and humbling ourselves, being complete, in complete awe and reverence. It's done right when we have an heart and an attitude in the right place. Surrender to God, not about us. Go to Romans 12. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves, your bodies, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his perfect, and his pleasing will. Thank you, Kevin, for alerting me to Matt Redmond's book, Unquenchable Worshipper. He talks about that, you know, all of us have different ways that, that we come to worship. And I want to, to, to share just a few of them with you. One of them may be that some of us are just an inquenchable worshiper, meaning that we are so passionate and may, amazed, blown away by the wonders and blessings of God that no situation, no circumstance, no diagnosis can quench the fire down deep in our soul. That's an in, unquenchable worshiper. Another situation may be an undone worshiper. That's what I would call a holy moment of soul searching or perhaps when, when through the power of the Holy Spirit God convicts you. It may be that you become very uncomfortable or you are aware, oh gosh, I messed up or God is leading me in this new direction and and you're just pretty vulnerable, feeling very transparent and undone before God. Another very important worshiper is the unnoticed. Unnoticed, quiet, not looking for attention, very private, just doing his thing, just doing her thing. But the good news, you may be unnoticed by other people, but you are not unnoticed by God. And sometimes God is calling you to just be still, to bask in God's presence, to, to just sit in wonder or in awe or in deep, deep prayer. Another is unsatisfied. Now, this is quite interesting that sometimes 
we have such a, a hunger and a thirst that comes from our worship that we just can't get enough. That we wish that our times of worship would just be continually extended because God is so good and you feel that intimate connection. You feel those holy moments and you just don't want them to end. And you become unsatisfied that you want to continue to be in praise and worship. The last one I want to talk about is undignified. Undignified. That would be this, what would I call it? Extravagant abandon. Forgetting about or not paying attention to what others might think. I love that. Not being so caught up in what others think about how you are outwardly, externally expressing your worship to God. Now, hear me. I am not suggesting an irreverence. I'm not acting that you, asking that you just, you know, be weird and act like a fool. But there are times when if we are so caught up in the, the worship of God to other people, we may just look like a fool. But are you willing to surrender enough to allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through you so that perhaps you may be a little bit undignified. A couple stories I want to share with you. And, and this story of King David needs a sermon in itself or two. But there was a time, you'll find this, the whole story in 2 Samuel. And it was a story about King David who was, was working with God and, and trying to worship in his own way. And it involved the Ark of the Covenant. And I can't go into all of that. So just study it and we'll preach on it some other time. But King David, in the presence of God, began to dance. And it was an unabashed, full-out, undignified dance. And this is what happened. Second Samuel. I'm just going to read a few verses. Uh, I'm going to start up at the 14th verse. David wearing a linen ephod, that's the tunic back in those days, danced before the Lord with all his might. While he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Now the thing is, he was out dancing in full abandon. His wife Michael was looking from afar. And later this is what she says. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and she said, Oh, hmm. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Disrobing. You see, he danced so hard that his clothes fell off. That's pretty undignified. Wouldn't you agree? She said, oh, yeah, you were so distinguished. Disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. She was thinking he was acting out. And this is his response. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me, rather than your father or anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. 
Here it is. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I love it because he's telling her, you think this is something? Just wait. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. After the fact, have you ever been there? You've, you've been so caught in the, up in the moment of worship, something God was profoundly moving, touching you in a certain way, and afterwards you think, oh boy, I bet I looked silly. I bet I looked like a fool. That's what David's saying here. He said, but these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. That means that God will, will allow them to see that I was truly worshiping. Yes, I look like an undignified fool to you, but God received my worship. God received my praise, and God will bless me because of it. Another undignified worship was Mary, Martha's sister, Lazarus's sister. You remember the story. We learned it for those of us who grew up in Sunday school. She took a pint, at least a pint, of really expensive perfume, broke it open, poured it over Jesus' feet, and then wiped, washed his feet with her hair. Let's go to John 12. One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Because it's worth a year's wages. Jesus said, Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. In other words, he was telling Judas Iscariot, Mary knows what pure, pure, true worship is all about. Nothing is held back. King David didn't care what other people thought. Mary didn't care what other people thought. Where are you when we're in worship? <laughs> there was a, uh, I, I attended a spiritual formation academy uh, in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska this spring. And I had this really profound experience in worship. And, and I got so excited that during our break, I went over and I started walking. And I couldn't walk fast enough, so I'm not a runner. I started to run. And that wasn't enough for me. I was so caught up in the goodness of God that I started, I don't know what I did. I started jumping around and I was circling around and just I felt like a little girl again and it was one of the most joyous moments I've ever had and I I made several trips around that little pond and it wasn't until later I thought oh gosh if somebody was watching me they must have thought I'd lost my mind but that is one of the most precious moments to me because in that moment I was this with God. I was tight. I was in complete worship. I didn't care. I didn't care. And I do believe that that's where Jesus is calling us today. 
we're all in different places. We are all very uniquely made. But God wants us to surrender, to be fully whole, giving our whole self to him. So my question for you is this. Oh, first of all, it's a, I think it's a praise versus pride issue. Because I can get all caught up in pride and it's all about look at me or what will people think. Or I can get caught up in praise. Look at what Jesus has done for me. What do I owe him? So my questions for you are this. Where can we go deeper in personal worship in our daily lives? Because we're called to live out our worship. And then... How can we make this, on Sunday morning, public worship, more of a priority about being all in? Where is God calling you? I know where he's calling me. As the band comes forward, I want, I want to, to share in prayer with you. And then, then I'm going to invite you just to truly worship. And it's going to look different to each one of us. But I pray that you can just let go of what anybody might think and you and your Lord have some, some worship time together. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we are coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. We're sorry, Lord, for the ways we've made it about us because it is all about you. King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve, yet we will bring you more than a song because a song in itself is not what you require. You search much deeper. You're looking into our hearts. So, God, today... We're coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you. Now, oh God, we, we offer ourselves to you. We offer all that we are. We offer our time. We offer our gifts. We offer our talents, our financial gifts. We offer our worship. We offer our lives. Receive our worship, O oh God, as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. We love you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.